0: Welcome to Attachment Theory in Action, a weekly podcast presented by the Knowledge Center at Chadwick. Our podcast is dedicated to therapists, social workers, counselors, and psychologists working with clients from an attachment-based perspective. Join host Karen Doyle-Buckwalter for an insightful, informative, and inspiring conversation with leading attachment theory researchers and clinicians in the field. Today, Karen welcomes counselor and author, Jessica Sinarski to the show for part one of their two-part conversation on making brain science accessible and entertaining for kids and parents. Part two will be released on Tuesday, April 27th.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. I'm your host, Karen Doyle Buckwalter, from here at Chaddock, and looking forward to bringing you another great interview. So today, my guest, I want to tell you a bit about her, is Jessica Sinarsky. And her superpower is making brain science accessible and entertaining for children and adults. She's living out this superpower as a licensed mental health counselor, supervisor, a bilingual author, and doing presentations across the country. She has also contributed to magazines, blogs, and podcasts. She has over 15 years of training as a clinician and a consultant, and she created the resource Brave Brains as a training platform. She also uh, wrote the book Riley the Brave, which actually has a sequel to it, which we are going to be mentioning today in the podcast. So be sure to listen for information about that. She also um, is a certified adoption therapist and the mother of three busy boys. So she is going to be here with us in just a minute. And I know you are really going to enjoy some of the information we're going to talk about related to the brain and attachment. So she'll be coming right up. Hey, Jessica, welcome to the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. I'm so happy you joined us today. Me too. I'm really glad to be here. Yeah. So we're going to be talking about all of your Work. I shared with our listeners that you have this passion about making information related to brain science accessible, no matter what the age of the person, including children. Um, right. And um, I shared a little bit else about your your training and your background but so that's your formal biography what what's your informal biography like what really drew you to this work and then got you so excited about brain and attachment and all the things that you write about yes so I think um two things come to mind. One
2: is when I started working in foster care, I was in the South Bronx and I didn't know anything right i just (laughs) doe-eyed graduate of um of graduate school a great school but it did not prepare me for the work that i was doing and so i really started to seek out additional training and so that i was fortunate to be able to do the adoption certificate and um, lots of other training along the way and then the great good fortune of my professional and personal life was moving to delaware and connecting with Dr. John Balin, who is the co-author with um, Dan Hughes of Brain-Based Parenting and um, the Neurobiology of Attachment Focused Therapy. And being on a journey with him has been, has just, it just opened my eyes to all of the things that I needed to know to be more effective in, in trying to help the, the families and places that I was working.
1: Yeah. So I know um, that over the years through interacting with Dr. Balin, with John, that he started this study group about brain and brain science and how it relates to our work. So I believe you were part of that at some point as I was. well. So so actually he had started one before
2: I ever met him. And when I heard him speak once, um, this is probably, I don't know, eight or nine years ago, I thought, this, this is what I've been looking for. This is, this is the science of practice and attachment and, and the things that I've been missing. And so I had asked him if he would be up for starting up uh, one for newbies, right, for, for you know, younger clinicians who, or, you know, clinicians who haven't been along the journey with him for yes. years. Yes. And he said yes. And then a little he's time so went great. by. Isn't he he's great? So great? I he's just so, love him. Yes. He's this wonderful man. Yes. <laughs> so he said yes. And then nothing really came of it and so I said hey how about if I organize it
1: yeah Um, as soon as you said nothing really came of it I'm like "Mm, yeah just from what I the feeling I've gotten from you so far I was like oh I think Jessica will make something come of it (laughs) I did I did (laughs) so I asked him if that would be helpful and he
2: said yeah that'd be great so I you know gathered the names and the first year we met in his home and just like dove into the brain science of uh, of attachment and and caregiving and you know all of these things and I was hooked and so I think it was that second year. Um, I told him, like, I said, like, let's go to lunch or something and, and said, I don't know if you've noticed, but I'm just, I'm going to be your apprentice. That's what's happening right now. So I hope you're cool with it. <laughs> whether, whether you
1: like it or not. Uh, <laughs> exactly. I've glommed onto you. This is happening. <laughs> yes. oh, so I understand. <laughs> I'm going to start making memes out of things you say. and <laughs> <laughs> Well, so what would happen is we would be in this um,
2: this group that has now we're now in our seventh year co-leading at this point of, um, you know, he he takes these studies and, you know, the depth of his knowledge about the brain is so powerful and puts it in a way that makes my brain light up. And then I feel like I'm that second conduit down to, you know, putting it in picture book form and and making it just really tangible and a little bit of the, um, you know, now what? Like, what do we do as parents? What do we do as as, um, professionals with what we know? And how can we make it even more more accessible that's really that's really my goal and more widespread that you know spreading the knowledge just like you're doing with your podcast you know really getting it out there because it's a it's essential knowledge if you're dealing with trauma early childhood trauma but i really think it's super helpful knowledge for everyone, right? We all need to understand our attachment systems. We all need to understand what's happening in our brains and bodies when we're, um, when we're interacting with each other, the world would be a better place if we all lived a little bit more in our upstairs brain,
1: you know,
2: right, right, right.
1: You know, and Jessica, what you're doing is just so important because, you know, there is that big gap between science and academia and then practical application and practice and what does this mean you know when Mm -hmm. I start started learning about attachment theory myself it's like the science of this has been around for a long time Mm -hmm. what to do about it if things go awry, there's a dearth of information here is how I right. felt. You know, and we have that difficulty many times from um, the bridge between academia and clinical practice. And That's so right. the work you're doing here is just so critical and so important. I'm so grateful that you're putting all of this out there. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. It's one of those things, you know.
2: I was I'm doing a, a series of um, like a continuing ed series for professionals right now and one of the participants reached out to me and said you know your this this course is changing not just how I do my casework but it's changing my life and I was thinking I'm so glad. Like, I feel really fortunate to be in that position because that's the same thing that happened to me. This information changed my professional life. It changed how I parent. It changed how I interact with my partner. You know, this is, like I said, I feel like essential knowledge for being a human. But how to apply it, especially in our work with families who are impacted by trauma. Um, you know, that that I think is that's the the growing edge right now. is Yes.
1: Yes. Yeah. Putting it in and, action. Right. Right. And I think two little practical messages here, aside from the actual topic, you know, are, you know, one, as discouraging as it could be for people that just are finishing their graduate studies. There's often lots that we need to keep learning um, after graduate school mm-hmm. and and studying and exploring. And that doesn't always mean you know spending money on lots of expensive trainings and workshops. Um, mm-hmm. You're saying we got together in a group and just started talking about this stuff. So that's yeah. like one take home point that's just kind of yeah. an overall thing for, for clinicians mm-hmm. to hear. And I think the second thing is reaching out to people, even people that you think, um, oh my gosh, they're probably not even going to return an email to me. Right. Um, one of the you know best things that I was ever told in my career was all the person can say is no. I mean, right? right? So yes. you know, really reaching out for support. Uh, in ways to educate yourself. So I just think that part of, I know that's not what we're here to talk about, but I just wanted to extract those two points from what you were saying, because I think sometimes clinicians are so isolated and alone and yeah. and need to hear that. So, so you know, I think a lot of times we're, when we're looking at this science, we're thinking, okay, what does it mean for me as a therapist in working mm-hmm. with adults children, parents, um, what might it mean for them as parents of, you know, those of us who who work in uh, adoption and foster care, what does it mean for how you parent a child? But you have really taken it a step further with, how do I communicate this to the child? And so, yeah. so let's talk just at least a little bit about your book, Riley the Brave, your children's sure. picture book. It is so adorable. I yeah. just can't believe how precious it is. I love it. So, why don't you share a little bit about that and and how it yeah. even occurred to you to like I I don't I'm not just going to think about this for therapy and parenting and and all of that. I I want to communi- communicate this to the children.
2: So there, there are a couple angles we could talk about that in. I mean, really, it was born of that brain study group and seeing again and again that these, these primal defenses that we have as humans, they're adaptive, they're courageous. Um, and so I would see this story play out where the same things that kept kids alive are the things that get them in trouble later. Yes. So we have this pattern of mis, miscues, miscommunication, um, and just pain everywhere, and it's tragic. And so I wanted to, um, I wanted to help interrupt the cycle earlier, where where kids can understand what's going on inside themselves, where parents can to help parents hold both that that my child has these sort of tiger moments or turtle moments where they w- they withdraw from me or they lash out at me, but really they're still my brave kid. They're still my precious cub. And so um, it came together in a story about a a brave little bear cub named Riley. And, um, And we see in the beginning of the story that he's a lot like his friends. Um, you know so just really normalizing that for kids that there are a lot of a lot of experiences that are the same but there are also these horrific experiences that are so not the same from their peers but i don't go into that because i found in my work with kids that they don't they're going to run if they if the story's too specific or too um, you know I don't know, re-traumatizing almost like they didn't need. The, so the the the, the like to be pivot point. Of yeah, go ahead. Steps removed. That's right. That's right. right. So even using animals instead of people, that was an right. intentional choice to to make it a little bit removed um easier to engage with less scary faces right um and the the pivot point of you know sometimes he feels different there are some confusing things from his past that are hard to talk about but he's also very brave and so then we see the section on you know he was brave like a tiger and he was brave like a porcupine and he was brave like a squirrel getting all his resources for himself um to to honor that that courage of survival that so many of our kids, so many of the adults that we're working with, uh, have have had to have in their life. And then we see this shift where now he's learning new ways to be brave. We see him with elephant parents, and the elephants are purposely never named. They're purposely not gendered um, so that the reader can put their story into it. So if you're being raised by two dads, or if you're being raised by grandma, and grandpa, or you're in foster care, um, that, that that's all okay, right? You don't have right. to, you don't have to jump through mental hoops to put yourself in it. And we see his courage to learn to trust his courage to reach out for help his courage to, you know, let people in that that's what i wanted to to communicate that you were you were brave to survive and you're brave to trust and there are going to be bumps along the way so there's actually you know there's a broken lamp in the story when riley had a big tiger moment with his big feelings but that's okay we can we can meet that um and then actually the little like brain bonus (laughs) for the parents is in the story we see some modeling of some of the therapeutic um, parenting that we know is helpful for kids who are recovering from early life trauma. Yes, And parents aren't going to do it perfect every time I loved your pot, your episodes with Edtronic and just really diving into like, it's not gonna be perfect. It's, it's attunement, misattunement repair, attunement, misattunement repair, we're gonna blow it as parents. But I wanted a story, or hopefully a series of stories that that shows a way to do it that really helps all kids, but certainly kids who've been impacted by developmental trauma.
1: Yes. Yes. So now, um, when did this, and we're going to talk in a little while that you, how I, I told our listeners, you have a sequel uh, <laughs> yeah. to the book, but when did the first book release Riley? Libre? So, yeah. So, so the backstory there is, um, I think
2: it was December. 2016, I had been mulling all of this over and then um, was going to bed one night and had a picture in my head of a bear in a red cape. And his name is Riley the Brave and he had elephant parents. And I wrote it down on my nightstand and went to sleep. And, um, and so that, in the, the winter, spring of 2017, I wrote the book and um, found the illustrator, and I decided to go the self-published route for proof of concept, that, that a, a kid's book about trauma that's bright and engaging and colorful and doesn't go into the backstory um, would work. And, and so I published it. Um, It came out in 2018, summer of 2018, as a self-published book. Um, And it did brilliantly. Um, It really resonated with all the people it was supposed to resonate with. And um, there were a lot of teens and adults. Also, I was hearing from therapists and and adults about how it was their story. Like they finally had something that was their story. And here Mm -hmm. it's this kids' book, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And so I knew I wanted there to be more stories for Riley and his safe big critters. And so, and I didn't want to be a book publisher. I wanted to, to train and, and, you know, equip. Um, And so I was connecting with some different options and Jessica Kingsley publishers um, picked up the series and, and took a chance on me. Um, so my self-published edition sold out, and I was able to re, you know, make a new edition with Jessica Kingsley, and that um, that new and improved. It actually, it really is improved. There were a couple changes that I was able to make that I'm I'm really happy about. Came out in October of 2020, so just a few months ago, as we're recording this
1: yeah so wonderful yeah yeah self-publishing's not for the faint of heart I mean there's just so much you have to manage with distribution and all of that um so I I I would imagine you're you're going to enjoy the help with the latest (laughs) edition um so that that's wonderful and so I I'm also thinking look I'm really intrigued by what you shared that you're hearing from adults, too, about the book. Because one of the things that I was thinking about when reading it, I mean, the adults reading it, uh, you know, so they're, whether they're a caretaker, a a foster parent, adoptive parent, biological parent, whatever, maybe they just like to read children's books. Um, So tell me a little bit more about what you heard from adults, because I think that's very interesting.
2: So from the the perspective that you're talking about of like the parent interacting with it, I think what I've heard from adoptive and foster parents is that they feel seen. That they feel like, yeah, my kid can be really scary sometimes. You know, the, the illustration of Riley being brave like a tiger is, is kind of scary, right? It's it's these big feelings that come out. Yes. And He's my precious cub, right? The story wraps up with the elephant's tucking Riley and Brett in bed and telling him, you know, how wonderful he is. That's hard to hold. That's really hard on the parent brain when you're faced with porcupine and tiger moments all day long to still hold that that this child is precious. And delightful, and lovable, and loved, and and all of those things that might have come a lot more naturally if you'd had the bath of oxytocin in your brain that gave you happy, warm bonding feelings at birth, or um, had you know all of those snuggles in early life. But now you have this teen in foster care in your home, and you don't get that. You just get the calls home from school, and they're breaking your stuff, and and it's all these it's all these big feelings. Coming out for this brave kid, and so it's helping parents hold both, by um, like giving their brain a little, a little nurturing for that really complicated work of parenting. Um, so that's kind of the parent side of it. That you know, one of the aspects of the parent side that I've heard the the some of the most beautiful stories have come from therapists who have shared it with their teen or adult clients. Um, of of these profound like that's that's me. So in fact, John <laughs> shared with me that um, there was there's a, a woman he had been working with for years and years, and uh, you know she had really done a lot of work on her own trauma history, and and she likes to hear what he's up to, and so he had shared Riley the Brave with her, and and she read it. Um, page by page, slowly, and then clutched the book and started weeping. Um, and John just sat with her for a minute and was like, there's something there isn't there, right? Like, she was seeing her siblings in in some of the moments that Riley was having. Like, that's the power of story and picture um, to hit those parts of the brain that are so often protected, meta- right? A metaphor. I mean, yes, and yeah. metaphor. That's right. That's right. Um, so we can hit that default mode network. We can hit that that internal system of who am I when I'm alone with myself? What is my story? Um, and so a- another therapist shared with me, you know, working with, and I'm changing some details so that you know, protecting yes, confidentiality. Um, you know, a, a, a kid, not a kid, a young <laughs> adult who had been in foster care and then. Um, you know, it went straight from foster care to juvenile detention as is so unfortunately, awfully the case and then into prison and had dealt with addiction and, um, and he was, he was out, he was working on his stuff. Um, they'd been working together for about a year and she decided to read, uh, she, she uses storybooks a lot with her adult clients and she read Riley the Brave and he, you know, here's this big tatted out guy who's like tearing up and pausing he paused her a number of times throughout the book and said, Like, that's me. That was that was me. I did that, you know, seeing Riley as a porcupine or Riley as a tiger. And by the end, she said he was like dancing around the room, like that's my boy. Riley's my cub. Yeah, go <laughs> Riley! Like celebrating this journey that Riley had been on, and it became it became a, a touch point for them in therapy going forward. That they'd come back to these these principles. Um, so I mean, that's it's just. Profoundly moving for me to have, yeah. have story be able to impact teens. I've heard from therapists about teens, schools, um, you know, high school teachers who are using it in their classroom, middle school teachers. It's not obvious, right? It it looks like a little kid's picture book, right? But the older students, the older clients, can can um, pull more from those metaphors. They get it on a different. Um, cognitive level because they have right. some of those cognitive skills right so anyway that's some, right. of, the, some right. of the fun
1: stuff and what about what about um children that maybe don't have a history of hmm. significant trauma or attachment disruptions um have you had any opportunity yeah. <laughs> what whatever whatever a normally developing child is right you know right, right. It's all you know we we question all of this now um right, neurodiversity right. and everything that we're understanding mm-hmm. but anyway sure kids Typically that are nurtured like, a, yes, a, a yes. child is experienced that let's say good that. care so yeah. yeah what 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 have you heard from that group if anything that's a great question so um it, I
2: feel like Riley for kids falls into sort of three categories. That there's the kids with early life trauma who are now in safety and can relate to it in a really profound way. There's kids who are still dealing with traumatic stress, who are who are maybe living in a, a home with abuse or living in a community where there's lots of violence and oppression. Um, and for those kids, it's been helpful in the school environment. To and in therapy, to be able to say, you need your porcupine quills when you hit the street. I get that. You 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 got to have. You got to be ready because things aren't very safe. Um, I wonder if while we're here working on our times tables, we can we can get those porcupine quills down and let that learning brain light up. Let that let that awesome part of you that that is ready and eager to learn. Right. So let down some of the defenses so that. Learning can happen. That's been really powerful. And then there's kids who haven't really had much trauma or have, you know, have have a nurturing environment at home. So for that group, what I've seen happen is a couple things. One is it is an empathy builder for Mm -hmm. kids who, for their peers, um, maybe for their siblings, if Mm. they're, if they have a sibling who has some, some challenging behaviors, trauma related or not, right. That it gives some language for, Oh, you know, Joe's having a tiger moment. We're just going to, we're going to help give him some space while he gets out his, his punches or whatever. Right. Um, without shame, right. Taking out that shame and blame. And then I've also seen it be really helpful for opening conversations about diversity that that families don't all look like each other, and we know especially for families formed by adoption, but really across the the spectrum of racial diversity, um, or or um, you know families who have two dads or two moms, that it opens conversation about not all looking like each other and. Um, in a really safe and engaging way. So when I do workshops in schools um, or author visits, one of the things I always talk about is, you know, why does a bear have elephant parents? And it normalizes that you might live with your grandparents, or maybe his bear parents were having a hard time and they needed some help, and so the elephants are are helping because everyone needs safe big critters. So for those kids that are in foster care. In the, in the classroom, that takes it down, like takes the heat down mm-hmm. a notch for their experience. Um, so yeah, a lot of a lot of normalizing and empathy building for, mm-hmm. and then there's the kids who are like, they just like the animals and it's a cute story. And you know, like <laughs> there's also that level where yes. a, a friend of mine um, was like, my kids wanna read your book every night. They just, the illustrations are bright and engaging and yes. you know, they're not pulling some, deeper meaning necessarily at age two and five. Um, But it, you know, I've heard from others who were like, you know, we read the book a a bunch of times. And then this one day they were like, why does he have elephant parents? And it opened a conversation about adoption and um, you know, those kinds of things that are really, that, that was absolutely part of my hope with it
1: yes 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 well gosh this has been so good um listeners hey we are hoping you will join us for part two of this podcast we're gonna go even further into some of the messages of the book about pace um playful accepting curious empathic and some other ideas that the book you know begins to communicate and um techniques that bring i think the phrase that you You used um, was Awaken the Brain to Attachment. Um, So please uh, stay tuned and join us next week for part two with Jessica Sonarski, author of Riley the Brave and lots of other things. So thank you. (laughs)
0: Thank you for joining us for this edition of Attachment Theory in Action. Please follow our site, tkcchatik.org, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean for future podcasts. If you enjoyed our podcast, please leave a review and share with your professional network. For additional resources, training opportunities, and blogs, please log on to tkcchatik.org. We hope you'll join us again as we continue to explore the world of adoption trauma and attachment theory.